Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Battle Round. Feels nice to be back in the studio here after two weeks because somebody had to go and couldn't track COVID. That somebody has two thumbs and is wearing a black hat right now. Welcome to the Battle Round from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. With me, as always, is my co-host Zach Goodman. Zach, how are you today, my man? I'm good. I'm glad to be back. It's been a uh, a week off. We did a virtual show last week, though, so uh, catch up on that if you haven't already. But glad to be back. Yeah, yeah. It's uh. It's been 84 years. No, it just feels like it, man. This is my first day leaving the house in 10 days. Um, guys, look, I had no symptoms. You know, I don't want to spend any too much time talking about this. I had no symptoms, but I, I got it from somebody at work. Good to go now, though. Feel as healthy as ever. Felt as healthy as ever for 10 days, so it was weird not leaving the house, uh, despite how well I felt. But uh, glad to be back in the studio, and we have, that's not the right button, we have a lot to talk about today. Um, man, talk about a bad time to, uh, to come down with, 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 this, uh, with this illness and not be able to be in the studio. As we know, the Orioles signed a bunch of international free agents, um, spent five, more, a little more than $5.5 million on their international amateurs, uh, including the first two seven-figure deals in franchise history. For an international amateur, you had $1.2 million going to Michael Hernandez, the, six, the 17-year-old Venezuelan shortstop, and uh, $1.3 million going to Samuel Basayo, the uh, 16-year-old um, Dominican catcher. We talked about that on our virtual update last week, so if you want to go check that out, please do. Um, other stuff happened in the two weeks since we last did a show. Um, since our last show, the creator of the Orioles mascot, George F. Gable, passed away from pneumonia and cancer complications at the age of 88. Uh, he was the owner of A.T. Jones & Sons Incorporated. It's a costume shop in North Howard Street in Baltimore. Uh, it's been around for 150 years. It's the second oldest costume shop in the country. Shop's not doing well. Uh, they've been closed down for, uh, because of COVID-19, and that coupled with the death of the owner as a future of the company, very much in doubt. Gable's son, Eric, who's uh, more affectionately known as Rick, said, we have been closed because of COVID-19, and I can't see how we can continue doing business the way we used to. Our future really is uncertain. Uh, so just really a tough blow to that family, um, tough blow to the city of Baltimore, the creator of the Oriole Bird mascot passing away in the last two weeks. Uh, so God bless him and um, thoughts and prayers out to his family. We also lost Don Sutton and the immortal Hank Aaron uh, since our last show, joining other Hall of Famers, Lou Brock, Whitey Ford, Bob Gibson, Al Kaline, Joe Morgan, uh, Phil Necro, Tom Seaver, and Tommy Lasorda, as well as fringe hall-worthy slugger Dick Allen, um, you know, the, the the big name that stands out, Don Sutton was a, was a big name, but the biggest name that stands out, of course, is Hank Aaron, who's arguably the greatest player in the history of the game, Zach. Yeah, he's one of them for sure. I mean, this guy had power that not too many people who've ever come through this game have had before. He's, you know, you could call him the home run king if you want to because he's one of them. He is you know, ridiculous stats. If you look at across the board, he was one of the greatest. And, you know, there are a lot of people who probably didn't appreciate his greatness at the time, but just an absolutely incredible player. And I'm, I'm sad I never got to see him play because he truly was an incredible player, really one of the best of all time. So let, let me ask you a question. A lot of people say, you know, every, everybody knows Barry Bonds is the home run king. Right. 762 career home runs, seven more than Hank Aaron. How do you feel? About that, because a lot of people say my real home run king is 
Hank Aaron at 7.55 because of the steroid allegations um, at, at Barry Bonson. We have to remember they are simply allegations. However, uh, he did steroids. I mean, it's his bit, head grew like three yeah, times yeah, but, larger. So Barry Bonds, you look at him in 1997 compared to him in 2001. The dude did steroids. It's a fact. Um, how, how do you feel? Is, is, is Barry Bonds a home run king or is it Hank Aaron in your mind? Well, I think you would say that they're both home run kings, but in different ways. You look at Hank Aaron as the legitimate home run king. I mean, this is a guy who legitimately put up these stats with no cheating, nothing at all that would tarnish his legacy. You know, Barry Bonds is going to be remembered a completely different way. Everyone's going to remember him for the steroids he allegedly did, and as we know, most likely did. So you can look at it both ways, but I think, you know, I think of Hank Aaron as, as just as much of a home run king as Barry Bonds is. I really think of them about the same way. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Because the stats say one thing. Right. Our, our, our minds and our hearts say another. Um, look, there's no doubt Barry Bonds is arguably one of the greatest players that's ever played the game. Without steroids, he was a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. So five, five tool talent. Yeah, 400 homers, 400 steals, gold glove, great arm. Um, Obviously, a great bat. It, it's is either it, the stats say he's a home run king. The eyes tell you it's Hank Aaron. The heart tells you it's Hank Aaron. Um, it, it, I, if, if people want to want to recognize Barry Bonds, I don't begrudge you for it because Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds is a Hall of Fame talent. He, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. But look, we got a lot of lot to get to. That's a discussion for another day. Before I get off on too much of a tangent here, the big news coming: the Orioles. Uh, Orioles, Masson, Masson's owned by the Orioles. Either way, they're cutting ties with broadcasters Gary Thorne, Mike Bordick, Tom Davis, Dave Johnson, and Rick Dempsey. Um, and Masson will no longer air pre- or post-game shows for both the Nationals and the Orioles. Uh, look, um, another guy... I'm, I'm going to get to this now. Another guy that they cut ties with is Jim Hunter. And Jim Hunter, um, he's been with the Orioles since 2024. Uh, He's been with the Orioles for 24 years since 1997. His first day with the Orioles coincided with the best season that I have that I remember. Apologies to 2014, but 1997 is the best season of my lifetime. Uh, this one for me, Zach, hits home. Um, Jim Hunter, when he moved here, he moved into my neighborhood. He moved two houses down the street from me. His son Jimmy and I are the same age. We played travel baseball together. I remember Jim Hunter warming me up to pitch in a game that he was. Orioles happened to be off that day, and he was able to come and watch us play. Um, and I remember him warming me up. It's because of Jim Hunter that I went to my first opening day in 2002. Uh, watched Tony Batista hit a grand slam off of Roger Clemens uh, to give the Orioles a 10 to three win. We saw the debut, the Orioles debut of Rodrigo Lopez, who went on to win 15 games that year, finished second in Rookie of the Year voting uh, that that season. And I remember sitting in the car, driving home with Jim Hunter and his son Jimmy. And me being so excited, oh, the Orioles just beat the Yankees 10-3. to You know, this is, this is when the Yankees were, you know, going to the World Series literally every year. And me being like, are the Orioles back? Are the Orioles back? And, you know, Jim knew this was a bad baseball team. And he had to temper my enthusiasm without crushing me. And, and that season, the Orioles only won 66 more games. Um, and if you recall, they were 63 and six, you weren't alive, um, or you were barely alive. But they went 63 and 63 to start the season, and then they lost 32 of their final 36 games. It was one of the most epic collapses in the history of the game. 
But it was because of Jim Hunter that I got to go to my first opening days. Because of Jim Hunter that I got to step foot in a broadcast booth for the first time ever. It's because of Jim Hunter that I do what I do. Th- th- this man, you know, whether he realizes it or not, mentored me at a very early age. I remember I spent spent a lot of time in his house as, as, as a kid. And seeing pictures on his wall of him, dozens of pictures of him with these these legends of the game. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is so cool. This is the coolest job in the world. This guy gets to talk about baseball every day and get paid to do it. He gets to watch the Orioles play every day and get paid to do it. The coolest job in the world. It made me want to do it. And when I was in high school, I realized that playing baseball was never going to take me anywhere. And it made me, I'm looking at Jim Hunter. And, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? And then he helped me. This is a guy, people don't know this. He would, he, he helped me, he had me over his house a couple of times. He would read my articles I would write for Utah Street Report that I would write for blogs that I tried to start on my own. And he would give me tips. He would give me pointers. He's the reason I got the job at Masson uh, to work as a cameraman and production assistant on the O's Extra, which is now not a thing uh, starting this year. Uh, this guy fueled my fire for me to do what I do right now. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. And it's because of Jim Hunter. He, he, he made me want to do this. And I, for one, am so sad to see him go. I, I, I've talked to this man about baseball so many times. I ran into, the, into him at the gym at, uh, this time last year. And he was uncertain about his future because the Orioles were, were making cutbacks. And, you know, so I, I don't know that he was shocked by this. It still has to hurt. It still has to hurt. For me, it hurts. Um, so I want to say to you, Jim Hunter, uh, Mr. Jim, as I've called you uh, since I've known you, thank you. Thank you for fueling my fire to do this, for, for igniting the passion in me to do this. You know, Thank you for setting the standard, the, the preparation that you put in to the job on a, on a daily basis. You're one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met when it comes to baseball, and the preparation was unmatched. I, I saw it. You work for hours for every game uh, at home, behind the scenes to get ready, and you set a standard of professionalism, and you brought a positivity to your broadcast that th- it's unmatched. You know, we, we watch these games, and we, we want these broadcasters to, like, look, I get it. There's not supposed to be bias in journalism. Not supposed to be biased in broadcasting, but when you when you represent the home team, when you're calling games for the home team, we want to hear a little bit of fire. We want to hear you get enthusiastic for the Orioles. You can be upset when they when when they lose. You can be excited when they win. It's okay. That's why we listen. That's what we want. And Jim, you brought that to every broadcast. And the professionalism, the positivity, unmatched. You are a gold standard to this business. And I thank you for being a mentor to me. For helping my career along. You know, Baltimore's gonna miss you. This old neighbor's gonna miss you. I know you're gonna land on your feet. Just thank you so much for 24 years of absolute excellence. Thank you. Zach, let's uh let's talk about these mass and cuts. Let's talk about let's talk about the mass and cuts first, man. How do you how do you feel about this? Well, it's sad to see, obviously, because these are guys that have been on the Orioles broadcast or 
pre or post game forever. I mean, these are Orioles lifers, most of them. Tom Davis, Rick Dempsey, obviously Jim Hunter. These are guys that have been around forever, and we've saw on our TVs every single Orioles game we've turned on. So it's sad to see any of them go. I, I think the Orioles are simply trying to get a little bit younger, and they're probably trying to go as cheap as they can. You know, COVID's been a rough time for not only people, but of course for businesses. The Orioles are a business. They have to make ends meet. And I get it's it's a little bit difficult to to pay some of these guys who are going to command a little bit more money, but I mean Gary Thorne is an absolute classic voice of the Orioles, and to see him go, I guess the writing was on the wall after what happened last year, but it's it's just terrible to see him go. I mean I I don't remember many games that I've watched without Gary, uh, without Gary Thorne or Jim Hunter or any of these guys with with you know their their broadcasting so. It, it's sad to see anyway. It really is. It's sad to see. Yeah, I mean, and then you, Tom Davis. Tom Davis is a five-time right. Maryland sportscaster of the year. Um, Rick Dempsey, World Series MVP. He's a legend here in Baltimore. Always on O's Extra. Uh, you Always know, on O's Extra. He and I share a birthday. Um, he is 30, 30, uh, 35 years older than me, but he and I share a birthday. Um you know, you're 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 losing Tom Davis. You're losing Rick Dempsey. You're losing Dave Johnson. And and on the, on the one side of it, look, I get it. I get it. Tom Davis and Rick Dempsey in their early seventies. You know what I mean? You have younger, probably cheaper talent coming in. Let, let's let's be let's be honest about it. these right. are people that are qualified. Melanie Newman, Jeff Arnold, Kevin Brown, uh, Brent Hollander. These are people that are younger. They're probably cheaper, and they're they're qualified. They're absolutely qualified. Look the. Getting rid of the post game, the pregame and post game show, it, I, I, it has a special place in my heart because I worked on the Orioles post on the Orioles pregame and post game show. The Nationals are losing their shows too, and I worked a little bit on on um, Nats Extra as well. And it, it stinks, but like I'm not sure how much viewership they had. You know, I'm as big as I'm a, as big an Orioles enthusiast as there is, and admittedly, I, I rarely, if ever. Watch the pregame and postgame shows. You know, like whatever. So we're losing those shows. I I, I don't know. Like it's just. I, I guess viewership was down. The Orioles right now owe the Nationals apparently a hundred million dollars. They're still appealing this at the highest court that they can up in New York. But it's just. I don't. I don't know, man. And you couple that with the news that Rockabaco broke yesterday that the Orioles asked. The Orioles asked Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander to defer some of their money to 2022 through arbitration. $1.5 million is what they asked them to defer. $1.5 million. Which is really not that much it's for, not. for a Major League Baseball like, like, team. What it's is, not. What is happening? What is happening with it? Like, And apparently this is unprecedented. Apparently this is just something that does not happen. You don't ask arbitration-eligible players to defer money. Um Especially, it's it's a minuscule amount. One point five million. Get out of here. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's troubling to see that. It really it's, is. It's a bad look from a PR standpoint. Um, a lot of cuts. Look, a lot of teams are making a lot of cuts. They didn't make any. Uh, they made money. Let's not say they didn't make it. They made billions of dollars last year, but they they probably lost. No, probably about it. They lost billions of dollars last year. All the teams throughout Major League Baseball. So this isn't. This isn't unprecedented in the sense that every team is losing money, every team is making cutbacks. But the arbitration thing, asking them to defer money, it's a bad look for the team, man. It makes them look cheap. And now you have speculation. Are they trying to sell, especially after that article came out in October, that there are potential ownership groups trying to line up to buy the team? Look, if you want to sell the Orioles... 
to a Baltimore-based ownership group. Go redhead. Sell the team. Yeah. Sell the team. You know, and and that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. I just, it's a really bad look, especially when you have a fan base that's tired of. I mean, look, we had a great five-year run here, but let's not be let's not be blind to the fact that the Orioles have played mostly losing baseball for the last thirty years. Right. All right. The five yep. you had a, a stretch from ninety two to ninety seven, where you had let's see one two three four five. You had five winning seasons in six years. Then from twenty twelve to twenty sixteen, you had five winning se- five non losing seasons. Cause they went eighty one and eighty one in uh in ni- in twenty thirteen. No, I'm sorry, twenty twenty fifteen. Um, but other than that, the Orioles have been a bad baseball team. We haven't won a World Series here since 1983. I, I, I'm, you know, in my mid-30s now, and I have yet to see the Orioles play in a World Series. It's a, the, it, it's a travesty. This once-proud franchise that was a dynasty, and now we're, t- we're tired of watching losing baseball. We're ready for this rebuild to, hit, to come to fruition, for the team to start playing good baseball, and now we're seeing the team pull back Pull back the reins on spending uh, even more so than they already were. You know they're pinching pe- they're, they're pinching pennies here. It, it's just it's difficult to see. And look, I know we got to get the signing off. I know I got to get Stan on the line. But what I, what I want to say here is that I don't know what this does to the rebuild. I still believe that the rebuild that the Orioles' next contending teams can be built mostly from what they have in their talent pipeline. We, we know that. This team is going to win because of Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall and Adley Rutschman, um, you know, and, and that strong young bullpen that they have. They're not going to win because they go out and spend $40 million a year on George Springer or, you know, Garrett Cole. That, that's, they're they're going to have to add free agent pieces, but it makes you wonder when they get there, are they going to be willing to spend the money to add these free agent pieces? It's, it's a bad look for the team. It's a bad look to the fan base. It's hard to justify it. I have to believe it's it's mostly COVID related. Otherwise, if it's not, I think they're they're gearing up to sell the team. I, I think there's a lot to worry about if this is not COVID related. I like you said. I, I assume some of it is. I assume most of it should be COVID related because businesses have taken very hard hits over this. But also another thing I saw brought up is that Trey Mancini just got over cancer. He's now in remission. It looks like he'll be back for the 2021 season. But to ask him to defer his payment after he just had cancer and he's now you know, past that, it's just a little bit tough to see. And Dan Connolly wrote a really, really good article about all of that. Um, but yeah, I think it should make any Orioles fan a little bit nervous, but maybe also a little bit excited that the Orioles may be looking to sell the team soon because it may help them get into a more. It really help them. Really could help them get into a better spot once they build this talent pipeline out and they start signing these free agents because we might get an owner in Baltimore that may want to spend a little more money. It- it remains to be seen. It's all speculation at this point. Um, yep. Like I said, the, the whole thing's a bad look. And look, I get the the mentality that it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't hurt to ask them, hey, do you want to defer the money? They said they both said no. Trey Mancini got us $4.75 million. Santander is going to arbitration. We didn't even hit the fact that the Orioles are in discussion with, with potentially with the Miami Marlins to trade Santander. We'll talk about that with Stan the Fan Charles here in a minute. But it's, uh, you know, the it doesn't hurt to ask, 
But the fact that it got leaked out is is like it's it's bad. It's it's not a good look. There's no way to spin it. It just makes the Orioles look cheap. And like you said, it's not something normal that happens every season. This is not something you really hear about too often. So it, it's, it is a little bit of a troubling thing to happen. Absolutely. Now, Zach, we got to get you sounding off segment. What you got for me today? All right, we're going to talk about an MLB salary cap. This is something that a lot of sports leagues have. You know, NFL obviously is a very strict salary cap. And it's something that the MLB has never decided to employ for multiple reasons, really. But... Teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees and all of these big market teams can continue to spend and spend and spend with really not much penalties to them. They get taxed by what's called the luxury tax. If they go to a uh, 20 or 40 million, 20 to 40 million violation of the luxury tax, which is around 210 million, somewhere around there that you can have in your payroll, they will get taxed 12% on the payroll they have. But that really doesn't stop them. In 2019, the Cubs, the Red Sox, and the Yankees all went over the luxury tax. Obviously, three very big market teams that spent a lot of money. And teams are continuing to spend more and more money. And it leaves these small market teams like the Orioles, like the Oakland A's, and the Rays, and teams like that in a, a harder spot because they don't have the money to put forth like the Yankees do, like the, the Dodgers do. And another thing I saw this week that really sparked my interest in all of this is that Trevor Bauer has been linked to the Dodgers. It's said to be kind of a long shot, but the Dodgers are really never out of a superstar free agent like Trevor Bauer, so that could be coming in the coming days, possibly. But to see a team go out like the Dodgers and spend well over $100 million on Trevor Bauer just reinforces the fact to me that the, the MLB needs to figure out how to make the, that luxury tax be more of a penalty to teams. Maybe don't put a salary cap in. That's fine. I'm fine with that. But tax them more. Tax them 30% on their payroll. Do something that's going to, to defer these teams from from really spending ridiculous amounts of money. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you bring this up. I remember, especially since I just did that, that farewell to Jim Hunter, I remember sitting at Orioles Fan Fest in 2013, um, and somebody asked during the fan forum um, about a salary cap, and, and Jim was very quick to be like, look, they're never going to have a salary it's cap. It's not really plausible. They're yeah. never going to have one. The union is way too strong. It's never going to happen, right? I agree with you. There, maybe there needs to be more of a penalty. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of teams don't want to pay that luxury. You look at the, the Red Sox; they didn't want to pay that luxury tax, um, and they were so happy when they got to reset last year. Right. But there does need to be some kind of penalty. Otherwise, the rich keep getting richer, and the teams like like the Orioles or like the the Kansas City Royals right. they, they they fall by the wayside. Uh, and, and look, the Orioles aren't a small market, but they're not a big market. They're they're a mid market team. Yeah, but, I agree with that. But they can't spend. Like the Yankees, like the Dodgers, like the Red Sox, they can't do it, and that's which is why this rebuild needs to work because you need to have the talent. But look, the, the, if if you don't have a bigger penalty for these teams, then it, you kind of feel like you're beating your head against the wall. Maybe take away a draft pick, you know, maybe take away a fifth round pick, a sixth round pick, something that would mean something to these teams other than a 12% surtax, which is really not that much. Maybe increase that to 30%. Who knows? You can do a lot of things that would make these teams not want to spend as much money. Yeah, it's, I feel like both sides have too much power. Both sides, I don't know that you're ever going to get it above what it is right now. Um, the ownership group has way too much power. Look, there's a, a collective bargaining agreement coming up here at the end of this year. Which will change this 12% number, most likely. Yeah, mo most likely. That remains to be seen. Um, 
I believe I have Stan on the line right now. I want to get his opinion on this. Stan, you there, man? Yes, I am. All right. Yes, glad, I am. Glad, glad to have you on the program. How do you feel about this? Zach is pretty... Um, pretty outspoken here about the fact that there needs to be some kind of penalty for these major league teams that are spending all this amount of money and not really having to pay too much of a penalty for going over the luxury tax. Uh, how do you feel about this? Do you agree with Zach? You know, I got to be honest with you. Of all the proposals I, I liked, I thought when Alex Rodriguez was talking about buying the Mets, uh, he, he, he said they're does need to be a salary cap. He says there needs to be a salary cap and then an agreement between the players and the owners that they will work together on up creating other revenues and splitting the pie in those revenues. And I got to tell you, a couple of people told me as soon as he said that, he wasn't going to get the Mets. And he probably wouldn't have gotten the Mets anyway because Steve Cohn. Uh, has a lot more money than Alex's group had. Um, you know, uh, he had the central ability to spend the way that Alex's group didn't have. Uh, but I got to tell you, I thought Rodriguez's idea was really quite brilliant. You know. Yeah, I, I think we can all agree there needs to be some kind of limit on spending here. Otherwise, you know, like I said, the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. Now, speaking of the rich getting richer and in this case the poor getting poorer, um, Rock Baco, uh, he reported recently that Anthony Santander is being dangled out there uh, in the right deal. They've been talking with the Marlins reportedly. Um, is it a mistake to make one of your best players who's under team control for the next four seasons a trade chip, especially with all the cuts that they've just made with Masson. Well, I mean, those are two different ball games, and but they're they boil down to the same thing. I've said that since Peter uh, Peter Angelos became incapacitated to the point where he was no longer in charge, the Orioles have been uh, cash poor, and uh, you know when they needed at the end of a season or at the end of a fiscal year, if they were, the Orioles were net negative, Peter would write the check that was able to, to put them back at, at par at least. Uh, and you, you combine the fact that, that Peter's no longer there, uh, in, in terms, any real terms of running this club, you put that fact out there plus add a year where the club has made no rev, you know, no real revenue from fans because the, the fan revenue is basically, if you ask most teams, the fan revenue just is what pays the players and the cash that's left over from, from that plus the other streams of revenue. That's how, how you sort of operate your ball club. Uh, and the Orioles haven't had any revenue, uh, appreciable revenue come in in a year and a half, you know, 18 months. So, you know, the Masson story or the the announcer story is a story of a lack of capital right now. And it's not that really hard to uh, think. And so the Orioles are in more of jeopardy of having to cut loose people that don't seem to be making an exorbitant amount of money, but... Um, it's it's really not that hard to think about how it's, how it's working out. You know, the news that the, the other part of that story that came out is the Orioles actually were talking about deferred money in the Trey Mancini contract, 
um, those are those are stories that speak of a lack of revenue, yeah. lack of cash on hand. So it won't surprise me um, if the Orioles were to trade uh, Anthony Santander. Well, Stan, do you think that would be a move that's simply about the money, or is it the fact that the Orioles have so much depth in, in the outfield, really at the major league and minor league level right now, and maybe the Orioles think that Santander had the best season he will ever have in 2020? Which one of these well, factors? Well, I mean, there, there is a little bit of that, and let's not forget, we're again, we're not talking about, as much as I like Santander, we're not talking about a guy who two years ago had a 345 Right on base percentage, and this this past year before he got hurt had a three sixty five on base percentage. You're talking about two ninety six on base in nineteen, and this past year, as good as we saw him play, it was three fifteen. Yeah. So let's not you know write the uh, the the tributes for him being a Hall of Famer or even a very good player yet. Um, I like what I see of him. I think it would be a a significant loss to this organization right now. But that depends what the other side of the deal is. You know, and the Marlins are known to have an awful lot of good young prospects coming through that system. So if you suddenly could get two or three of them, uh, you know, maybe a real low, a low guy like, you know, who they just signed last year, but who knows what we could get from the uh, Marlins for that. And until I knew what the other side of the trade was, I would have to say it's certainly a possibility. Yeah, it's. I just feel like, and it looks like a bad look for the team to ask for a deferral in Mancini and Santander's arbitration contracts. And it looks it's a bad look for the team to have your most valuable Oriole from this past season uh, being dangled as as a trade chip, and then you're cutting all these. And, and, and look, I know that the Orioles aren't Masson. Masson's not the Orioles of their own company, even though Masson is owned by the Orioles. It, it's a bad look to cut all of these all these broadcasters who are their voices are synonymous with Orioles baseball. Gary Thorne, Jim Hunter, Tom Davis, Rick Dempsey. These are guys who who people recognize and brings a certain amount of nostalgia to the to the broadcast that are no longer here. There's no pregame show. There's no postgame show. It, it, Stan, is all of this potentially leading to the sale of the team? The, the, we heard, we saw that article by Jeff Barker back in uh, October about how their ownership groups lining up to buy the Orioles right now. Is this the the the, the preemptive strike to putting this team on the market? Uh, having said all that I've said so far, I still don't think uh, it is. I think this ownership group is committed to uh, seeing this rebuild through and uh, reestablishing uh, financial uh, strength uh, rather than calling it stability. So I don't, I don't see this group selling the team anytime soon. I think what you, what you probably are going to see and my friend uh, Marty Conway, who teaches at Georgetown Sports Business, he'd be a good guest for your show one morning. Um, he, he, he prophesied to me about a year and a half ago that uh, with the Masson lawsuit you know, still going on between the Nationals and Masson, um, that there just wasn't enough revenue from the RSN to afford both of these teams, you know, to, to uh, you know, because the, the, the network 
has to pay each club. It was, it was, um, the network has to pay each club the same amount of money. So back in the days when Masson was first born, the Orioles got about $18 million in uh, a rights fee, and the Nationals got about $18 million, something in that ballpark. You're now looking at at the ability for some teams to have their, their network that, uh, you know, buys their rights fee, might be paying them as much as 80 to $100 million. That's significant revenue that the Orioles and the Nationals, the actual teams themselves, haven't been able to get. And that's what's at the root of this, this issue. So I think more than more likely is that the RSN will end up will end up being sold to somebody or they will be reassigned where the Nationals have their own RSN or their own rights fee deal with a Comcast or a Sinclair. But at the same time, we think that's what should happen. Uh, as I understand it, these, these uh, RSNs right now, especially the ones that Sinclair bought, they're, they're having incredibly difficult times making making sense out of the deal that they just made like two years ago because of the pandemic and the lack of revenue in there. So it's the whole, the whole TV rights game right now is a terrible, terrible game. Yeah. It, it, it seems like, uh, there's no doubt about it that, that, that the broadcast, the, the RSNs are struggling at this moment. We're definitely going to see a change here, especially, we're, I mean, we're already seeing a change. You're losing the pregame show. You're losing the postgame show. You yep. lost a lot of talent that are going to be on those shows, and now they're going to be using the in-game Look, talent. You're talking, you're talking, and you may not be aware, for the last 18 months of baseball seasons, not including, I was, I was on that, that nightly show two or three times a week. So it's taken revenue out of my pocket, you know. Um, and I had somebody call me, a friend, said, hey, is that, that thing the Orioles did with their cutting all those announcers, is that going to help you? And I said, no, not at all. It's a sign of what, what I predicted when I haven't been back in the building since March 11th last year, or March March 3rd last year. It's uh, the death of those shows, you know. Stan, so I've I've suffered with it, you know, directly. Stan, we mentioned earlier a potential sale of the team that could be coming at any time, but do you worry about a new owner coming into Baltimore and looking at the rebuild a little bit differently than Mike Elias and the rest of the front office does currently? Would you worry about them trying to change up the scheme a little bit of what the Orioles are trying to do? I'm just not in the mode to 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 think that this group is going, I know some hires they've made in other areas and I had to have a hard time believing they've made those hires in sales and such. And, and then are going to sell the team. I just don't think it's about to happen. And, and they, they, you know, moving on a little bit, they, they just spent over five and a half million dollars in, yep. in, in international signings, which is a good sign. For the team, now I know there's money specifically allotted for that those purposes, but they are still spending money on talent here, so that's that's a good sign at the least. And, and with that in mind, Stan, let's let's move on from the doom and gloom here a little bit, and let's talk about the international prospects that the Orioles just signed last weekend. Again, more than five and a half million on 
uh, 13 players, 18 overall, um, including the first two seven-figure deals for an international amateur in franchise history. Michael Hernandez, a 17-year-old Venezuelan shortstop, and Samuel Basayo, the... Um, the 16-year-old Dominican catcher, uh, 1.2 million for Hernandez and 1.3 million for Basayo. What does this mean for the organization that they are now spending this kind of money on international amateurs? Well, it it means an awful lot, and uh, you know, again, not to beat a dead horse, but you know, Peter was Peter was more aghast at at the whole system down there in Latin America where, you know, you had so much cheating going on and things like the Atlanta Braves were doing. It was a, it's a cesspool down there. And the Orioles have been able to re-enter it with somebody who's a respected, uh, uh Latin American scout in Kobe Perez. And, uh, I think it's going to, you know, it's going to pay some dividends. There's just, there's just no question that you can't succeed. With, it's like fighting a it's like fighting a, a championship fight with one hand tied behind your back if you don't invest money serious money in Latin America it's a way to get cheaper prospects yeah it's it's something where the Orioles they spent more on 13 on, on more individually on 13 different players than they had in some seasons on the international market so it's definitely something that's that's long overdue. Now, look, they, they, they took a foray into this in 2019, the whole J2 signing period, which was nice to see. This is another step in that direction, a bigger a bigger step in that direction. Now, players like Michael Hernandez and Samuel Basayo and these other um, players that signed for more than $300,000 each, do they start in the Dominican uh, Summer League? Do they start in the Gulf Coast League? I know they're not going to start their careers at Del Marva or Aber- Aberdeen, but can we see any of these players playing stateside in 2021? It's a it's a small possibility that it, maybe maybe one of these two higher guys would play at the Gulf Coast League, but I don't think so. I think they play uh, Dominican Summer Summer League. That, that's what would seem to make sense and uh, would make sense to me anyway. Now, Stan, before we let you go, we'd be yeah. remiss if we didn't talk about the passing of Hank Aaron. And we lost Don Sutton. We lost Tommy Lasorda in the last two weeks. Um, and We've lost all, to, all told. My count is now at 11 Hall of Famers since, since last March when Al K-Line. Absolutely. Or did K-Line pass away April 1st or something like that? Uh, I, 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 think it was in, I think it was in March, maybe maybe April 1st. It was right around that time. In 11 yeah. months, we've lost 11 yeah. Hall of Famers. We had, we had when, when the calendar struck 2020, we had 76 living Hall of Famers, and we're down to 65. Yeah, it's... It's, uh, it's you know, it, it, it is what it is. Hank Aaron was one of the most special players in the history of the game been a great great ambassador to the game um but he's a reminder that he was a reminder all the all the more of the racial inequality in, in this country because you know hank A- hank aaron played in the negro leagues before he played in major league baseball yeah and you know with a little bit of a baltimore touch here he was great friends with Frank Robinson. They were inducted into the Hall of Fame the same year together. Um, this is 
uh, the guy who a lot of people claim is the true home run king. Uh, how do you feel about that? Do you look at, at Hank Aaron as the true home run king, or do you look at it as Barry Bonds? I, I look at Hank Aaron as the actual home run king. I don't think there's much case, much question that Barry Bonds was, uh, you know, was fooling with uh, performance-enhancing drugs. So I prefer to think of Hank, uh, Hank Aaron as the actual home run king. And it makes it a little bit easier to think of Hank Aaron because, he, like as you said, he was such a great ambassador for the game. He was an all-around good human being, very easy to talk to, very accessible. And then you look at Barry Bonds, the steroid allegations, the the attitude that he had towards the media. He just didn't seem like a very nice person. So it makes it that much easier to pull for a guy like Hank Aaron as being the true home run king. Stan, thank you so much, as always, for joining the program. Apologize about the voice this week, guys. No, no, no. Hey, no, we're not we're not paying attention to that, man. We just like having you on the show and talking some baseball. So All we right. certainly appreciate Thank you. It. All right, man. You Thank have a great weekend. Guys. Take care. That was Stan the Fan, Charles, joining us for his weekly segment, as always, here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Stan joining us on the bat around. And just as a reminder, if I can get uh if you are missing your Stan the Fan fix. Stan the Fan Charles has two great shows for you every week. And like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Let me turn this mic up a little bit. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with the Orioles bench coach, Freddie Gonzalez, while Stan and Gary chatted with AP sports writer David Ginsburg, who was retiring after covering Baltimore sports for more than three decades. Both of those shows can be found under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Coming up this Monday night at 6, Stan and Ross will have their own conversations with Orioles Director of Player Development, Matt Blood, who is joining the show today at 11.30. I forgot to mention that. Um... Uh, the director of player development, Matt Blood, will be on with Stan and Ross at 6 o'clock on Monday night. Join them on Facebook Live and find the show the next day at PressBoxOnline.com. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at C3America.com. And that is a perfect segue to remind you to call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797. That's 410-401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Zach, Stan doesn't seem to think that the Orioles will be selling the, the, uh, Peter Angelos's Peter Angelos, John Angelos, Louis Angelos, doesn't seem to think that, the, that they're going to be selling the team anytime soon. Does that come as a surprise to you considering the moves that have been made in the last 48 hours? Yeah, I think it does a little bit. I, I think the signs are starting to show up here and there that a sale could be coming. I'm not saying anything's imminent. I'm not saying the Orioles are going to be sold by this June or, or something like that. But, you know, maybe over the next two years, I could definitely see it happening. And I, I know there was an article we talked about in October that kind of talked about a sale of the team. There are a lot of uh, rival executives and owners who think the, the Orioles could be sold at any time. And there are apparently ownership groups that are trying to line up to buy the Orioles already, even though they haven't been put up for sale. Cal Ripken was uh, contacted by the MLB back in October about potentially being part of an ownership group. So it might be coming soon. I don't think anything's imminent, but... It definitely could be could be soon. Yeah, it, it's 
you don't want to say the writing's on the wall. Yeah. But, but these uh, are these are clear signs that they don't have a lot of money. And it's kind of been going on for a little while now. This is mm-hmm. not just the past forty eight hours. I mean, this has been really the past two years we've been hearing these things. So, and not to mention the fact that, like you said. This article was written back in October. That didn't come out of thin air. Jeff Barker didn't just make this stuff up. You know, these, these the, otherwise he wouldn't have a job. The, these this guy has credible sources. I don't know who they are, but he has credible sources. Say there are ownership groups that are that are, you know, poking a little bit, trying to see what they can get here with the Orioles. So Stan may be right. We may be right. I got a question for you, Paul. Yeah. How would you feel about Alex Rodriguez potentially being a part of the ownership Dude, group? I, I can't stand Alex Rodriguez. It might I, and, happen, though. And, and, and I feel like... Now, look, I feel like he'd spend money. I feel like he'd do what he can to make this team a winner. So that would be cool. But, man, I feel like people forget that Alex Rodriguez is, is a scumbag. Alex Rodriguez is a terrible, terrible, terrible human being. People, I, won't, I won't disagree with you. And, and he's everywhere. He is. Yes. Somebody posted on Twitter, and I thought it was so funny. He is the Forrest Gump of baseball. He is just everywhere. And it's like, and he's having a grand old time. People forgot that this guy got suspended for a full year for taking steroids, that he threatened people's lives to, have, to cover up his steroid use. Alex Rodriguez is a scumbag. And, and we treat him like he's like an American icon. Get out of my face. Like, ugh. If Alex Rodriguez buys a team, look, I'll still. Nothing's going to change my fandom of the team, but Alex Rodriguez, uh, I never even thought about that. I'm, this microphone just keeps dropping on me. I never even thought about that. It makes me makes me ill to think about it. Uh, you know what? This is a perfect time to get a break so I can kind of catch my breath here a little bit. It, uh. Guys, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to have Buck Martinez, former Orioles play-by-play man, former Toronto Blue Jays manager, and current uh, play-by-play man for the Toronto Blue Jays. Buck Martinez joining the program after the break. Glory Days Grill fall winter seasonal menu is now available for dine in, dine out, on the patio, or to go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. 
If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate it, y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Glenn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash Sports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual best of issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Batter Round in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Just want to remind you, the Batter Round is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. I'm excited to announce that on the line right now, we have former Orioles broadcaster, former Blue Jays manager, and current Blue Jays play-by-play man, Buck Martinez. Buck, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well. We're glad to have you on the program. Glad we could work things out and we could get you the reschedule after having to cancel last week. Um, Buck, you had a playing career that overlapped with Hank Aaron's, um, and we just lost Hank Aaron the other day. Do you have any encounters with Hank Aaron that stick out to you? Oh, yeah. In 1976, uh, Hank was playing for the Brewers, wrapping up his career, and I actually have a picture in my office of uh, me catching and Hank batting. So, yeah, he was uh, an iconic player for sure. I mean, when you talked about, you know, great baseball players, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, those are the guys I grew up with, um, you know, watching them in the 50s and 60s. And uh, I did have a chance to... uh, play against Hank at the end of his career. Uh, that certainly um, has to be something that sticks out to you because Hank Aaron, arguably the greatest player um, in the history of the game, and a sad, sad day losing him the other day. Um, at, with, with Moving on now, uh, Jays added George Springer. Uh, six years, $150 million deal to play. Is he, first off, is he going to be playing center field or are they going to move him to a corner outfield spot? No, he'll play center field initially for the Blue Jays, and that's uh, what they had on their minds. They need to improve their defense. Their defense is below average uh, around the diamond, and uh, the addition of George Springer is going to really help out 
And you know what? You talk about defense, but uh, when you have a better center fielder and uh, you, your pitching staff's going to be better, they're going to make more plays. And everybody remembers how well Adam Jones played in Baltimore and what he did for that team defensively. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, something that they had targeted in the offseason. They wanted to add a center fielder, and they got one of the best in Springer. Was he their tar- their primary target from day one this offseason? Yes, he certainly was. They needed, as I said, they needed the defense. Uh, he's a terrific leadoff hitter, a guy that can impact the game, much like Ricky Henderson starting the game off. And um, they, I don't think they're done. I think they still have uh, uh, the idea to add to their pitching staff, and a starter especially. So I think they're continuing to look at the options that are available. Hey, Buck, this is Zach Goodman. And George Springer obviously is on a six-year deal, a brand-new six-year deal. That will take him up until he is 37 years old, which is you know, getting up there for a baseball player, you could say. Is there any chance that you know, Springer could be on the move after a few years or he opts out? Or, because 37 years old is getting up there for a baseball player for sure. Are, are the Jays worried about that at all? I don't think so. I think uh, you know, the Jays are in a unique situation, and uh, they're positioning – Geographically, obviously, um, they always have had to pay a little bit extra to get free agents, and uh, it's not something that has ever stopped them. You know, if you think back, they signed Roger Clemens and, and Dave Winfield and Jack Morris and Dave Stewart, all of free agents that came to Toronto when they were a contending ball club. And I think that was the goal of Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, the president and GM, to get this team in position to contend and then complement their homegrown players with free agent signings. Now, the signing of George Springer, it was, it was rumored that the Mets were heavily in on Springer. Their, their offer didn't quite match the Blue Jays' offer. Was, that the, was the six-year, $150 million deal the original offer, or did they have to up the ante after the Mets got into the mix? No, I'm not sure what the original offer was, but I know that they had to continue to sweeten the pot to entice Springer to come. You know, George is a very aware guy, and he's from the Northeast, grew up in Connecticut, and he's aware that the Blue Jays are on the rise. And uh, that's what you want when you sign as a free agent. You want a team that's got the arrow pointing up, and certainly that's the situation for the Blue Jays right now. With all their great young players that, uh, you know, barely have a year or two of experience in the major leagues, but they got to the postseason last year. And, yeah, you could argue that it was an unusual situation, but at the same time, that experience is going to serve this group of young players very well going down the road. Now, another player that they were reportedly in on, to the point where it's actually reported they had a deal was Michael Brantley. Um, then suddenly he re- it was reported by everybody that he had a two-year deal or a two- or three-year deal with the Blue Jays, and then all of a sudden, two years, $32 million, he's back with the Houston Astros. What happened there? Why was it reported that the deal was done? Well, I think there's just too many uh, people that want to start rumors. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what Everybody wants to be the first to report it, and uh, you know, they don't care if it's true or not. And that's what happens with uh, so many different outlets. Everybody wants to be the first. And uh, they don't necessarily want to be the correct one, but they want to be the first one. And I think that's the case here. Did the Blue Jays really even need him? They have Randall Gritchick on the team who had, a, who had a nice year last year. We in Baltimore know all too well how nice of a year he had last year. Uh, they have Lourdes Gurriel, who may have been the best overall hitter on the roster uh, last season. Was, was it more going to be an embarrassment of riches for the Blue Jays if they were able to sign Brantley? No, I think they would have signed Brantley if they could have. I mean, he's a terrific guy. He's only 33 years old. He's got a two ninety seven career batting average, which is 12th among active players. Uh, yeah, I don't think any manager complains about having too many good ball players. 
That's I think true. Charlie Montoya would have been very happy to have Michael Brantley on the team. But uh, as you said, uh, Grichik, Teoscar Hernandez, Gurriel, they were the outfield last year. And now, obviously, somebody's going to have to move around. And, you know, <clears throat> it's difficult to evaluate a team and trying to predict what they're going to do in the upcoming season until you see the finished product at the end of spring training. Because a lot of teams add during spring training. A lot of teams make deals before spring training starts. And I think the Blue Jays are still looking to improve this ball club. Yeah, I would, I would imagine that the Blue Jays still need to improve that. Because you mentioned earlier that good defense helps out the pitching staff. And this is a pitching staff that you have um, Hunjin Ryu and you have Nate Pearson, who's unproven at this point, and then you don't really have much else. Now, you have pitchers out there like Jake Odorizzi. You have Trevor Bauer, uh, James Paxton. Is Taiwan Walker, who pitched really well down the stretch for the Blue Jays at the end of last season after coming over um, from Seattle. Is uh, Who are they in the market for? Is Trevor Bauer a little far of a reach for the team, or could they possibly be players for him? I think they're players for Trevor Bauer. I think uh, James Paxson is another guy. Uh, you know, initially they had a chance to sign James Paxson out of college, and there was a technical glitch that uh, precluded them from doing that. But he's from British Columbia, and obviously his nickname is the Big Maple, and I think he would probably entertain the thoughts of coming back and pitching for Toronto. But Odorizzi's another guy that's pitched in the East. He knows the East very well. He's been a very good pitcher throughout his career. They've got uh, Robbie Ray, who they re-signed. They've got some young guys. You mentioned Nate Pearson. And, uh, you know, they got a bunch of young prospects, prospects in their system as far as starting pitchers. But I, I still think they look to add another pitcher or two before spring training. Now, another place that they're looking to add at is in the infield. Um, you have Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who played first base last year after playing primarily a third base in this rookie season. He's lost 50 pounds over during this offseason, really looking to play third base for the Blue Jays. If that's the case, who's going to play first base? Do they trust Rowdy Telez to handle first base on an everyday basis, or are they in the market for players like Mitch Moreland or C.J. Crone? No, they trust Rowdy Telez very much. Uh, he had a great breakout season for him before he injured his knee. And, um, you know, he finished up the season active, but he wasn't 100%. So he's a guy that uh, they're going to get in the lineup somehow because he's got the best power on the team. And uh, Rowdy can play first base. There's no doubt about it. The question is, did Vladdy lose that much weight, and can he play third base? That's the big question. Uh, third base is a tough defensive position, as is first base. So I don't think anybody has uh, made any rock solid decisions as far as where Vladdy's going to play next year. They're going to let him show up in spring training, see how it goes, and make a decision once they see him play. Now, it, it seemed like they were trying to avoid having Guerrero play third base going into the offseason. It was rumored all offseason that the that the Jays were in on DJ LeMahieu until he re-signed with the Yankees. Was that ever a, a real thing, or was it pretty much always assumed that LeMahieu was going to end up back in New York? I think everybody in baseball felt like LeMahieu was going to go back to the Yankees because he's tailor-made to hit in that ballpark. You know, he won a batting title. He's a big part of their team. He can play all over the diamond for them. He's played second, first. He's played third. And I think he liked New York. And, uh, you know, you heard right at the end of the negotiations how some of his teammates were really 
speaking out saying we need DJ back in this lineup because he certainly sets the tone in the top order, just like George Springer plans to do for the Blue Jays, sitting in the first spot in their lineup. So I don't think anybody was really surprised that LeMahieu went back to the Yankees. Now, the Blue Jays have made some very notable acquisitions over the past few days, but another guy I look at as a possibility for this infield is Marcus Semien, still a free agent and one of the best free agents out there, really. Is there any chance that Marcus Semien could be on his way to the Blue Jays soon? I don't think he's a real good fit. Excuse me, I'm on my boat. (laughs) (laughs) It must be nice. Um, I don't think Simeon's a real good fit. I think there are better fits out there available. And uh, maybe Eugenio Suarez of the Reds or Mike Moustakas of the Reds, somebody like that that could play third base. Uh, They really would like to have another left-handed bat, as you could imagine with the uh, pursuit of Michael Brantley. So, um, you know, I don't think that uh, Simeon is a guy that uh, really is on their radar. Uh, who else could be on this team's radar to improve this to improve this roster? They seem like they're pretty set in the outfield. They have a, a young, formidable lineup. Is is Travis Shaw, for example, a big part of this team? Or are they looking to find somebody else to possibly replace him, especially if Guerrero is going to play third base? No, Travis Shaw is a free agent, and I don't think they're going to have uh, any desires to bring him back. Uh, you know, he hasn't been able to recapture the form he had in Milwaukee a few years ago. So I think uh, he's going to be gone, and, uh, you know, they've got some other options. But I I think they're still looking around to see if there might be a third baseman out there that's a legitimate major leaguer like Suarez or Moustakas that could uh, really shore up this lineup. But uh, the lineup is very deep. I mean, there's the prospects of Randall Gritchick hitting eighth in this lineup. And when you have a guy like that hitting eighth in your lineup, you're pretty strong offensively. Now, I think it was a bit of a surprise last year that the Blue Jays were able to make it into the postseason. It seemed like maybe they were still a year or two away, even though they have been making moves the last two off-seasons to improve this team to make them legitimate contenders. Is this team as currently... Now, again, they need to add some starting pitching, but is this team a legitimate World Series contender as they stand right now on January 24th? No, I don't think so. I think they're certainly a contender in the American League East, but as far as saying they're going to go to the World Series, I think it's a bit of a stretch as the way it's configured right now. But uh, like I said, I, I'm not going to give up on the Brew Jays uh, adding to their pitching staff, and if they do that, they bring in another guy that's a quality arm like a Paxton or Oda Rizzi. Or uh, Nate Pearson really steps up the way we expect him to. Um, you know, they still have Tanner Rorick uh, in their rotation. They've got Trent Thornton coming back from elbow surgery. So they have a lot of options, including guys like Thomas Hatch, who pitched out of the pen last year, and Anthony Kay, who also pitched out of the pen. But both of those guys are starters. And I think there's uh, plenty of options available, but I still think they're looking for a major league starter with a proven track record. Now, they just added Kirby Yates for the back end of their bullpen. Is the bullpen strong enough, or do they need to add a couple more pieces there? No, I think with Kirby Yates and Tyler Chatwood, two relievers they've added to go along with Jordan Romano and uh, Rafael Dolis, who pitched very well for them last year. They re-signed A.J. Cole to a minor league deal. Jordan Romano had an injury at the end of the season, but early in the season he pitched very well. And uh, we mentioned Hatch, and they've got Barucki and Merriweather all down in that bullpen. So I think they have enough pieces in their bullpen if Kirby Yates can bounce back to the form he had a couple of years ago with the Padres when he was the best reliever in baseball. So I think they're in pretty good shape in that department. 
Yeah, a, a big year out of Kirby Yates would certainly go a long way towards helping the Blue Jays in their quest for contention and getting back to the postseason. Uh, Buck, you're certainly going to have a great time this year calling Blue Jays games. They're going to be an exciting, fun team to watch, and they're certainly young. Um, we really appreciate you joining the program today. We're going to let you get back to some boating and have a great weekend, all right? Thanks for joining the program. All right, fellas. Thanks for having me. You have a great day. Absolutely. You too. That was Buck Martinez, current play-by-play man for the Toronto Blue Jays, joining the program there from his boat, which must be nice. I can't. I, I wonder if he's down in like Florida or the Carolinas or something like that, because it's like thirty freaking degrees outside here. So there's no, and even colder in Toronto. So there's no way that he's that he's anywhere where it's this cold on his boat. I, I guess I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's pretty cold pretty much everywhere right now in uh, the United States. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know what I just realized? I totally forgot to ask Buck about the Masson cuts because he he broadcasted with every single guy except for Mike Bordick and Dave Johnson that got cut from the from the Masson broadcast and I would have loved to have had his perspective on it but uh you know we haven't had a show in 2 weeks so my brain's still a little a little fried here I guess and I totally forgot to ask him guys we're going to get another break when we come back we're going to do a pretty exciting segment here uh, we are going to give the Orioles all time 26 man roster on Orioles banter um, yeah we're going to do that when we get back from the break before we do I want to remind you that every Monday through Friday Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports listen to pressboxonline.com slash radio you never know who might pop up on GCR this week the guys caught up with Hall of Famer Kurt Warner Ravens offensive lineman Tyree Phillips Baseball America's Ben Badler and more find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Glory Days Grill Fall Winter Seasonal Menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. Get the fresh start you deserve. It's a new year. It's a new you. In the U.S. Army, you will acquire the skills and experiences that will prepare you for a long and successful career. There are more than 150 career fields to help you find the right fit for your future. Become a stronger and more successful individual that you and your family can be proud of. Explore all the ways to serve. To request more information, text AQWP to Go Army. 
or 462-769. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Go. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. All right, welcome back to the Bat Around. I'm Paul Valley. With me, as always, is my fantastic co-host, Zach Goodman, who does a lot of work behind the scenes for the program, so I really appreciate all the help you give me with this, making my life a little bit easier, Zach, so thank you for that. All right, we're going to get into Orioles banter here. Cut that music out. We don't need it right now. Uh, going to get into Orioles banter right now. The all-time 26-man roster uh, for the Baltimore Orioles. This was a tough got, one. This was, this was a tough one because there, there's so many guys that could go in so many spots, especially when you look at the bullpen. I, I think that's what the toughest one for me was, and I probably missed a lot of the the players that you have, and 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 vice versa. So it was really tough to put this together. But I think we're going to be pretty similar on our starting nine. I'd assume. I think we'll be pretty similar. I think we may have some 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 differences here. So let's uh let's get right into this. Uh, we're going to get the, the the easy ones. Out of the way. And we should probably preface this that it's not about the single best season they have with the Orioles. This is the all-time best player. They've had the best career out of any at every position, essentially. So Absolutely. So we can say them at the same time. First base, Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray. Yep. One of six players all-time with 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. He's in the Hall of Fame. 343 career home runs as a Baltimore Oriole. It's Eddie Murray. Um, third base, Brooks Robinson. Brooks Robinson. 16 straight gold gloves, 9... Uh, he he's an AL MVP, Hall of Famer. It's Brooks Robinson, shortstop. Cal Ripken. Cal Ripken, arguably the greatest shortstop in history. Changed the shortstop position. For, uh, six foot four playing shortstop was unheard of before Ripken did it. Uh, Eleven win, ninety one season, greatest season by shortstop in history of the game. Twenty six hundred thirty two consecutive games, most home runs ever by a shortstop in Major League history. And of course, he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, right field, Frank Robinson. I had Frank Robinson in left field. I used the the corner outfielders interchangeably, essentially, uh, because they all played both. And I did look, and Frank Robinson did play some left field in his career. Okay, so. okay, but we, we both have Frank Robinson Correct. in our outfield. So let's get down to the positions where we may differ. Second base. I'm going to let you go first. All right, I had Brian Roberts, actually. And, and, and the reason for that is I looked over all the stats. I looked over, you know, Bobby Gritch, of course, is one of the great second basemen in Orioles history. But I picked Roberts for his contributions to teams that really weren't that good. He was one of the best players 
a long and a really bad time for the Orioles. That was the dark ages of the Orioles. He stole so many bases, hit a lot of home runs for a second baseman. His average was always up high. He, he walked quite a bit, and he had a you know always had a good OBP. So this is a guy who was a solid defender. He was really one of the better second basemen. Doesn't get enough credit really for for being what he was. So I had to go with Brian Roberts. I went with Brian Roberts also. He was as good as good of a leadoff hitter as Brady Anderson. Yep. Um, but he was a uh, I'm, I'm, he was more so. The prototypical leadoff hitter. He smacked 50 doubles in the season uh, three times, another two seasons with over 40. Stole 20 or more bases in in seven straight seasons, including an AL leading 50 in 2007. He was a two-time All-Star who owns a career fielding percentage of 986 at second base. It's a bold statement I'm about to make, I know, but if not for the injuries, I think Brian Roberts will be recognized as an all-time great in the game at second I, I base. I agree with you. I'm right there with you. Yeah, if, if, if he plays out that four-year contract with the Orioles with the average season that he had the previous seven years, Brian Roberts is he's maybe not a Hall of Famer, but they, they talk about him in the conversation. 50 doubles a year. He would hit 280 to 300. Um 15 to 18 home runs, and he'd steal 20 of the 50 bags. Brian Roberts was was an all-time talent at second base who just couldn't stay healthy at the end of his career here in Baltimore. All right, so we had third base. We got shortstop, catcher. I'm going to go first here. And I know you don't have this guy. Chris Hoyles. I also have Chris Hoyles. Oh, you do? I thought that I, I do. I you, do. You said that you were arguing with your dad about yeah, whether we, or not we were arguing about Dempsey and Triandos. There were uh, a few guys went back and forth. No, Dem- Dempsey. Chris Hoyles. D- Dempsey, as beloved as he is here in Baltimore, he couldn't hit his way out of a wet paper bag. And despite that '83 uh, World Series MVP, Chris Hoyles is a franchise leader, a catcher in WAR and in home runs. Uh, but his he he was an on base pers- machine. His career OBP is over 360. Uh, and Honestly, he is responsible, in my opinion, for one of the greatest, if I can find it here, one of the greatest home runs in the history of the game, in the history of the Orioles. Three and two the count. And they'll all be running. Ripken, the possible tying run, of course. And if Royals hit one in between them now, Cal might be able to score with this running start. There they go. And the pinch. Swinging a long drive to left center field. It is gone. And the Orioles have won it. That was Chris Hoyles, May 17th, 1996, in a back-and-forth game with the Seattle Mariners. The Orioles entered the bottom of the ninth inning, down 13-10. to 10. I remember watching this game when you, were, you weren't even a thought in your parents' minds, Zach. I remember watching this game. My dad was in Ocean City. He called me after it happened. The Orioles down 13-10, to 10, two outs, bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, 3-2 count on the Orioles. That is the, that is the, the hit that kids emulate. Not necessarily Chris Hoyles, but when you're in your, when you're a kid and you're playing baseball in your backyard, you're you're down three in the bottom of nine, three two count with the bases loaded, and you hit a walk off grand slam. That's the moment. That's the moment that kids dream of, and Chris Hoyles did it for the Orioles in 1996. Just the best offensive catcher in the history of, the, yeah. I'm going to say, the best offensive catcher in the history of the Orioles. I'd agree with you, and hopefully uh, Adley Rutschman can take that crown soon. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. look, uh, Hoyles left a lot to be desired defensively, yeah. but uh, the, the offense made up for it. Uh, his, his 1993 season in particular, when he hit 
310 with 29 home runs, and he missed like five weeks with a broken wrist. He was a front runner for for um, the starting short, starting all star catcher, and when he broke his wrist, imagine the season that guy has if he doesn't miss five weeks with a broken wrist. Absolutely insane. All right, so I know that you have Frank Robinson in uh in left field. I have him in right field. So who do you have in right field? I have Ken Singleton. I, I think Ken Singleton earns it here for me just because such a incredibly steady player for the Orioles. And I would say he had a couple close to MVP seasons for them. And, you know, just a guy who, I say it a lot, but underappreciated. And really what he did, put up a lot of huge numbers, hit a lot of home runs, was on base all the time, and just a steady presence. So I'm with Ken Singleton. Ken Singleton is an absolutely great choice. I kind of wish I'd put him in there, you know, but I didn't. Um, I have Brady Anderson. Okay. In, in left field. He's the only player in franchise history with a 20-homer, 50-steal season and a 50-homer, 20-steal season. He stole 20, 20 bags or more seven times, 362 lifetime on-base percentage. He led the league in hit-by-pitch three times in a four-year span. When I think of leadoff hitters in Baltimore, I think of Brady Anderson first and foremost. Then I think of Brian Roberts after that. But Brady Anderson, for me, and then that 50-homer that, that season in 96, it came out of... He never sniffed that number before or after that season he was a two-time All-Star here in Baltimore, and he was a, he started out here as a left fielder, and then he moved over to the center field. Just a tremendous, tremendous athlete, like four percent body fat. The guy was in, he was and still is in insane shape. Looks like he could still play. Brady Anderson, and, and I'm also a little bit biased because when Brady was at his peak, was when I was like really getting into the Orioles. when they, when they, That was becoming like the most important thing in my life, the Baltimore Orioles. Brady Anderson was one of the best players on the team at that point, so I'm a little bit biased when it comes to that. All right, center field. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, you may have the same guy. I have Adam Jones. I do as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to. It's, he's arguably the best outfielder in franchise history, not named Frank Robinson. He was the heart and soul of the Baltimore Orioles during his time here. If the 2014 Orioles win the World Series... This is another bold statement. He might have his number retired. He might, yeah. I, I think he could anyway. I'm, he, not, I'm, I'm not sure he, he won't. I you think he won't you can make the argument that he could. I, I don't think anybody's worn number 10 since he... No, since, they, they haven't let anyone wear it. Yeah, nobody's no. won. So you might as well retire the number. What, what Adam Jones meant, he was the heart and soul of this team. Um, basically from the second he set foot on the field in 2000, uh, 2008. He he was the heart he was the heart and soul of this team. Signed that big uh, contract extension in May of 2012. Team leader, team, and he was a leader in the community. What what Adam Jones meant to the Baltimore Orioles, not just on the field but off the field, what he meant to this community, to the city, to this fan base. To me, Adam Jones's number should be retired. He, his number should absolutely be. And and this is this is coming from the same guy who said to the same guy being me. Um, who said a few years back that the Orioles needed to trade Adam Jones and sign Manny Machado to an extension. Look, Manny Machado was, it, it could have gone down as the greatest uh, position player in the history of the Baltimore Orioles if he signed an extension here. Uh, so, so apologies to Adam Jones with that. But me, me feeling like he could have been traded or should have been traded does not negate the fact that this is the, he, he's one of the most important players in the history of the franchise. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, this is the guy who really I grew up watching as as my favorite player, you know, one of my favorite Orioles of all time. And this is a guy who is just such a steady presence, too. I said that before, but it, it really is true. You know, maybe didn't put up the, the best numbers really after 2013, 2014, but he was such a good defender at, at a certain time. You know, he started to decline later in his career there, but he was really a five-tool talent and a guy 
the Orioles just really couldn't have made that 2016 or 2012 to 2016 run without. He was such a key piece and such a such an Oriole, such a Baltimore guy. Oh, the Orioles don't have that 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 five season stretch without Adam Jones. They just don't. Right. Um, DH, you go ahead. I had Harold Baines. Um, and I I accidentally said Tony Gwynn Jr. on our uh, on our vir- or Tony Gwynn I'm sorry on our virtual show the other day. But what I meant was Harold Baines, just a classic DH, and you know played a little more for the White Sox. You may want to call him a White Sox, but this is a guy who is just a classic DH in my opinion. Started out playing a little outfield, then moved over there, got on base a ton, made a ton of contact, always reliable. Harold Baines is my pick for DH. All right, I thought you were gonna go Boog Pal. I thought you were gonna go Boog Pal. Boog Powell was an MVP in 1970, MVP runner-up in 1969. I didn't go with Boog Powell. For me, it was him or Rafael Palmero. Okay. And I went with Palmero. Palmero slashed 284, 366, 520 as an Oriole with 223 home runs in his first stint with the club. His average season was 292, 371, 545, 36 homers, and 111 RBIs. Steroids or not. And look, I'm never going to be convinced... Even though he tested positive, I'm never going to be convinced that Palmero used steroids in the, at the peak of his career. You'll, it, his body just never looked like it. And ne- his body looked the same from the moment he, he Certainly started. not like Barry Bonds. Yeah, Definitely it, not. He didn't look like a muscle man to me. He just had a pretty swing and knew how to make contact. Uh, but you can make the case, steroids or not, that he's the greatest hitter in franchise history. When you look at, at Palmero overall, you look at his career average, his average home runs, RBIs, Run scored the defense on top of it. You can make you can make the argument for him being one of the best players in in the history of the Baltimore Orioles. He's one of six players with three thousand hits and five hundred home runs, just like Eddie Murray. Uh, but but he wagged his finger at Congress in two thousand five. Said I did not use steroids very adamantly, and then the same season test positive. For steroid use. So he's not in the Hall of Fame, even though I think he should be. Um, I don't know that he's even in the Orioles Hall of Fame. Um, but in my opinion, the, arguably the greatest hitter in the history of the franchise. Yeah, it's a good pick. I, I did not put him there. Um, we'll see who's on my bench. You know, never know. But um, yeah, I, that is a really good pick. He's such a, such a great power hitter, a classic power hitter in Orioles history. So uh, and, definitely yeah, deserves a spot. Him hitting third in that Orioles lineup from 94 to 98. You know, I, it seemed to me like he had 39 home runs every year for the Orioles. Um, I think he did it two or three times. Uh, finally got over that 40 homer mark in yeah. in uh, 1998. But Rafael Palmeiro, definitely a great hitter who's deserving of playing DH for the Orioles. On the bench, I'm just going to go through my entire bench real quick for you. Catcher, I have Matt Wieters, uh, four-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove Award winner. Uh, he never lived up to the moniker of Mauer with Power or Jesus in Cleats, but that's all right. Uh, you would not find a better catcher during that time span that he was with the Orioles at blocking pitches. At how many plays at the plate where you saw the ball bounce in and Weeders managed to, to to hang on to the ball? And that was the one thing that I missed with this ball club when he left was they just didn't have that guy who was going to you knew was going to make the play at the plate. They just didn't have that guy, no matter who it was. Matt Weeders is my backup catcher, uh, my backup infielder. Is Manny Machado. Like I said, this is a guy who could have been the greatest position player in the history of the franchise if he had, if he was a lifetime Oriole. He wasn't. Uh, got traded to the Dodgers. Now he's a Padre. But Manny Machado, man, he was he was something special here. His first full season, he hit 50 doubles, 
Then the, his next full season in 2015, he hit 35 home runs. Just a, a, And the defense, oh my God, the defense. Gave you a glimpse of what it was like to watch Brooks Robinson play. Manny Machado is my backup infielder. Um, my Now I have, I have two outfielders on my on my bench. I have Paul Blair, arguably the greatest defensive uh, outfielder in the history of the, of the franchise. Eight gold gloves, including seven straight. And then I have Nick Markakis. And I have Nick Markakis because I have a soft spot for Nick. Nick was a guy who, you know, approached 200 hits almost every year, hit anywhere from 290 to 300 every year. He had 20 homer power, 40 double power, would drive in a ton of runs, score a ton of runs. And a lot of his talent was wasted on bad baseball teams. I mean, yeah. the, the fact that... Just like Brian Roberts, really. Yeah, and the fact that Mark Hakes only got to play in one playoffs because in 2012, CC Sabathia threw inside and broke his thumb. The, only, the fact that he only got to play in the 2014 playoffs, to me, was a travesty for a player who is... Shafted for the All Star team year after year, he was always the Orioles' best player, and he never made an All Star team. And finally, did with the Braves a couple of seasons ago. Finally, won a Silver Slugger award as well. He led the American League in WAR, I think, in two thousand eight. Um, really, really talented player who just didn't get enough credit here in Baltimore. Who's on your bench? So I, I also did a four-man bench, but instead of you, I did an extra infielder. So I have Rick Dempsey at catcher. Um, you know, just in, like I said, classic Oriole. I, I think he deserves a spot there. He couldn't hit that well, but he's just so classic to the franchise. I had yeah. to put him there. It makes sense. My backup infielders, I have Manny Machado as well. It's, it's really self-explainable. And then Boog Pal, I also have there. Uh, you can DH him, play him at first base, whatever you want. But um, another guy where... He's just a classic Oriole, Boog's Barbecue now. I mean, it's just, you almost can't not put him there. It's mm-hmm. So, Boog Pal's there. And then Paul Blair is my backup outfielder as well. Like you said, one of the best defenders in franchise history. So, that is my four-man bench. All right. Let's move to the starting rotation. Uh, go ahead. Give me your, your first starter. All right, well, we all have Jim Palmer. Yes, yeah, absolutely. As the ace of the uh, starting rotation. Yeah, it's Jim Palmer, 268 wins, 820 win season, three Cy Youngs, 211 complete games, which is a freakish number. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame, in a word, duh. Yeah. Uh, Jim Palmer. Uh, number two, I have Mike Mussina. I do as well. He has 270 career wins, 147 as an Oriole, a, a 353 ERA, and nine straight 11-plus win seasons for Baltimore in the heart of of the steroid era. I can't stress that enough. When I looked at some of these MVP totals, MVP voting totals in the mid-90s, and there were like 15 guys who hit 40 home runs every year. It was absolutely bananas. And Mike Mussina's winning, you know, anywhere from 11 to 19 games for, 19 straight, for nine straight seasons and pitching to a three-and-a-half ERA. He ended his career with 17 straight 11-plus win seasons in the American League East, which is a record. He's in the Hall of Fame, deservedly so. My favorite pitcher of all time, but second best in Orioles history. Who do you have at number three? I have Dave McNally. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have Dave McNally at number four. Okay. Um... That's only because I mixed I, when I when I did this list. I mixed up. Uh, I mixed he and Mike Cuellar up in uh, 1968. Uh, Dave McNally, arguably the best season in franchise history in 1968. He won 22 games with a 195 ERA and a m- microscopic 842.842 WHIP. It's incredible, uh, insane. Uh, won 20 plus in four straight seasons, 318 lifetime Orioles ERA. So I'm assuming that you're number four. Is it Mike Cuellar? Yes, it is. All right, you have Mike Cuellar at number four. I have him at number. Number three, 1969 AL Cy Young, 420 win seasons, 172 complete games. Also had a 3.18 ERA in his Baltimore career. Number five is where we might be different. Who you have a number five? I have Mike Flanagan. 
And that was a little bit of a tough one. I went back and forth with a few guys. I thought about Hoyt Wilhelm a little bit, but I ended up going with Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan was a, was a solid choice. I almost went with him, but I went with Scott McGregor in se- instead. Much like Mussini, he had nine straight 11-win seasons, 11-plus win seasons, including 20 in 1980. He was never really the ace of any staff. Hell, in... in his 20-win season, 1980, his teammate Steve Stone won 25 games in the Cy Young. So he was never the ace. But McGregor was that guy that ever—he was like Scott Erickson. He was like 96 and 97 Scott Erickson. You knew when he stepped on the mound, he gave you a chance to win. Every time he went out there, he was a guy that you need. He was always the solid number two. The guy, the D.L. Hall in your rotation, where it's Grayson Rodriguez is that guy, and then you have yeah. D.L. Hall— Scott McGregor was like number two. He was a guy that was always there. He he pitched in two World Series. He was a mainstay in that rotation. Really important guy to this franchise. Three lefties in our in my uh, in my Orioles all time rotation. Did you ever consider Chris Tillman for this rotation? I, no. I thought about it a little bit no. just because he's the best modern day Orioles pitcher. Really, I mean, there hasn't been a guy who's had that much significance to the franchise starting pitching wise really since Chris Tillman. So and and before him, really Mike Mussina. So. When, when I look at Chris Tillman, I loved, I loved Chris Tillman. The, the guy was a bulldog. And he was a damn good pitcher for five years here. The thing about Chris Tillman is I saw too many games where he threw 40 pitches in the first inning and managed to gut his way through five or six innings. But if he could have kept his pitch count down, he could have thrown more innings, uh, maybe had more of an impact. And, and look, he was, the, he was the ace of the staff, and I use that with air quotes because I never considered Chris Tillman an ace. He was just a very good pitcher. Right, not, not really an ace of, the, of Major League Baseball, but an ace of the Orioles. He was the ace of the Orioles. Right, he, 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 was, he wasn't Max Scherzer or right. Justin exactly. Verlander, but he was the ace of the Orioles on a very good team for five years. Uh, love Chris Tillman, I just don't put him up there with the all-time greats in the history of this franchise. All right, bullpen. We we gotta we gotta move here. We got we've taken our sweet time with this um, bullpen. I have Zach Britton. Um, simply put, he had the greatest season of any relief pitcher of all time in 2016. Only allowed four runs the entire season. .54 ERA, perfect. 47 of 47 in saves. Despite only pitching in relief for four and a half seasons in Baltimore, he is second in franchise history in saves and fifth in games p- finished. He pitched to a 1.69 ERA in 260 relief appearances for the Orioles. Who you have as your first reliever? I have Randy Myers as my first reliever, um, and you know we we got to get moving, so yeah. we'll, we'll just move on to the next guy. Yeah, I've got Randy Myers at number three. With um, he was forty five of forty six in nineteen ninety seven saves, seventy six saves uh, in his two seasons in Baltimore, one five one ERA in the ninety seven season, and overall two five two. I have Darren O'Day second. Um, I think he's the greatest non-closer reliever in franchise history. Uh, 2-4-0 ERA, appeared in 64 or more games five times in seven seasons. His highest ERA in, in Baltimore in any season was 377. And in his first four years here, he was 23-8 and with a 1-9-2 ERA in 273 games. Is Britain number two for you? No, I, I had Britain on the bottom of the list, but I also had Darren O'Day as well. Um, okay. So, you know, again, that 2012 to 2016 run just does not happen without Britain or O'Day. So absolutely. So you have you have Randy Myers first. You have Darren O'Day second. Zach Britton third. Zach Britton third. I have Randy Myers third. Fourth, I have Jim Johnson. He's the only pitcher in franchise history to record fifty saves, and he did it in back to back seasons while leading the AL in those two seasons, twenty twelve and twenty thirteen. Who do you got at number four? I also have Jim Johnson. Yeah, the, the forty plus save seasons. He was a little bit rocky in some of those uh, some of those games trying to close him out, but. You know, still definitely deserves a spot here for for that. Yeah, I, I'll never forget the nine blown saves in a season where the Orioles were six games out 
of the wild card, but still one of the greatest one of the greatest relievers in franchise history. Number five, I have Greg Olson, 1989 Rookie of the Year, 160 saves, a sparkling 2.26 ERA in six seasons in Baltimore. I also have Greg Olson, most saves in franchise history, so yep. you really cannot not put him in this bullpen. At number six, I have Tippy Martinez, 105 saves and a franchise's franchise's all-time leader in games finished, with 298 to go along with a 3-4-6 ERA in Baltimore. Famously picked off three batters in one inning, or I'm sorry, three base runners in one inning on August 24th, 1983. I also have Tippy Martinez, so pretty pretty similar going through here. All right, number seven, I have Stu Miller, 38 wins and a 2.37 ERA and 502 innings pitched, um, over five. I'm sorry. Uh, over five seasons pitching exclusively out of the Orioles' bullpen. I also have Stu Miller. This is <laughs> it's getting pretty uh, repetitive here. Right, I don't think our number eight is the same. I have, not. I have Hoyt Wilhelm. I do as well. As number as number eight, he pitched a two four two ERA in 185 games over five seasons with Baltimore, 142 of which came in relief, thus putting the Hall of Famer in my Orioles' all-time bullpen. Our bullpen was exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. And I didn't rank them like you did, so that was why I was kind of moving around a little bit. But I did have every single guy you did. I, I am shocked. I am shocked. That is our next guest, Orioles um, Director of Player Development, Matt Blood. I'm going to get him on the line while Zach gives us a library. All right, the latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize our MoGaba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Joining the program now in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio is a guy I'm really excited to talk to who has perfect timing calling right at the end of our Orioles banter segment, Matt Blood, Orioles uh, Director of Player Development. Matt, how are you today? Hey, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining the program. Now, Matt, we're just going to dive right in here. Uh, you were named to the role of Director of Player Development by the Orioles uh, last September. What can you tell us about the role and the duties that it entails? Well, yeah, I was hired uh, September 2019, and uh, we had previously, before I got here, um, I guess let go of a decent amount of staff. So the first part of the job was to... Uh, assemble uh, a staff, you know, a staff that uh, was going to work well together and and ultimately create an environment uh, that, that's, you know, empowers learning and skill acquisition. And so we spent a lot of time uh, searching for interviewing and hiring staff. Uh, and then once that was over, uh, we had to get them all together and on the same page and and mobilized, so that's what a lot of my job has been, uh, has been putting that team together and and, and getting us uh, coordinated to uh, go out and help the players learn. And, and apologies to you, Matt. When I said last September, I meant 2019. I still forget that we're already into 2021. Um, now, of course, a minor league season would be helpful for you to do your job at the highest level. Do you have any updates regarding the minor league season and when it's slated to start? I don't really have a, a, an update. I, I'm, I'm working under the assumption that there will be a season of some sort this year. Uh, it will be a delayed start. 
uh, and what that means, we don't know for sure, but uh, it's not going to start, you know, in your typical April time frame. It's probably going to be later, you know, whether that's a month or two. Uh, that's to, still to be determined. But I do think that there there are efforts out there to get games at minor league affiliates at, at some point this, this year. Now, the Orioles lost uh, the Frederick Keys when Major League Baseball decided to downsize their affiliates, and Aberdeen moved to a full-season affiliate uh, with the folding of the New York Penn League, essentially taking the place of Frederick and leapfrogging Delmarva in the process. What impact does the loss of Frederick and the lack of a short-season team such as Aberdeen's previous distinction have on player development? Well, I mean, I, I, I think... It's not going to have a, a major impact in, in regards to the actual development of the players. I mean, I personally see the restructuring as a positive for players because it's creating better schedules. Uh, it's creating better overall facilities and uh, less less detrimental travel. So that's kind of the, the overall... The, the overall arching themes of the restructuring. And, you know, Aberdeen is, is a great facility. I mean, I, I personally have not been to Frederick yet, but I, I've heard great things, and I, I, I truly believe they're going to be back in the fold at some point, somewhere, uh, from everything I've heard. But uh, in regards to development itself, I, I think that the system that Major League Baseball is putting in play is going to be, uh, more effective, uh, more, more, uh, more helpful for for the players and staff for actual uh, learning. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm supportive of what of what's going on. Well, you yeah, you would imagine that Major League Baseball would would do what they feel is best for the game. So I understand where you're coming from in, in from that standpoint. Now, with losing a short season team. Does a second Gulf Coast League team make up for losing that short season team? I think so. I, I think it. You know, we're not really losing a team. We're just moving it to the Gulf Coast League. We'll still have pretty much the same number of teams or players. Uh, you know, in the Gulf Coast League, in reality, it gives us more flexibility to do uh, more creative practice and exposure for players. So. You know, you, you could look at it as a positive uh, if, 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 if viewed properly. Now, Matt, we're, we're assuming you spent a fair amount of time at the alternate training site in Bowie this past summer. Um, what did the, the – there was no minor league season, so we, we lost a year – the Orioles lost a year of development from that standpoint for their top prospects such as Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, and Gunnar Henderson. But what did the action at Bowie last summer do for their development? For the prospects, it exposed them to upper-level competition. It, it challenged them on a daily basis. They got some real focused, uh, kind of smaller group work, and uh, it, it's similar to what I was just talking about with the, you know, the extra GCL team. It, it allowed us some creativity towards how we trained. It removed some of the some of the obstacles that that maybe travel in a season you know, provide. So they, they got a lot of really good work. And I think we saw some, some progress, some exciting progress from, 
from those guys. So I, I mean, it's really, it's really kudos to the staff there for, for, for finding ways to be even more productive. Yeah. Now the reports that we got out of the alternate training site was Adley Rutschman was the best player on the field there in the instructional leagues. It was, there was no way prior to this past season that, that, Adley Rutschman was going to be debuting in 2021. Now, everybody seems to be backing off that. They're saying that that could be a possibility. We're not asking you for a timeline on, uh, on Rutschman, but what about him uh, stood out? And is Norfolk a possibility for Adley in 2021? Uh, what stood out was, was really his, his insatiable desire to get better and be great. You know, he, he's got a lot of ability. Uh, and he's not satisfied with that. Like he, he doesn't want to just be a major leaguer. He wants to be, you know, a great major leaguer. And so he constantly challenges himself. He's not afraid to, to do things that are difficult and um, to get out of his comfort zone because he knows that's the best way to learn. And, and that uh, he kind of led by example in, in that regard. And, you know, the more he does that, the better he's going to get and, you know, the louder he, he's going to he's going to scream that he's great. So um, that's really what we saw there. Uh, and then, in terms of a timeline, I, you know, that's a very popular question. He's never played a full season of minor league baseball, so you know, let's let's just try to get through that first. Yeah. And uh, you know, where where he lands. You know, you asked about Norfolk. You know, nothing's impossible, but. You know, I, I think we'll be patient and we'll we'll start him out and we'll see how he does. So I, you know, that that that's really a question that's impossible to to answer right now. Hey Matt, it's Zach Goodman, and we just talked about possibly the minor leagues starting a little bit late. We, we're kind of operating under that time frame right now, but we know that Norfolk and and the rest of AAA sounds like it will start on time. So Adley Rutschman, obviously a guy who probably isn't ready for Norfolk yet, but could he get sent there just because the Orioles don't? can't operate the the lower levels of the minor league system i my my intuition is no um that that assumption is would be saying that we aren't being productive in sarasota where we'll be training the rest of our players and right you know, i know i know that not to be true i mean just because they're not playing a season yet in in sarasota doesn't mean they won't be highly productive, just like we were at the alternate side, just like we were at instructional league. So he doesn't have to go to Norfolk in order to develop. So I and, and you know, like I said, he he's never played a full minor league season. Uh, you know, so he just put him in in AAA at the beginning of the year because of that would be short sighted, in my opinion. So my my answer to that would be no. These prospects, Matt. Um... It's looking like the minor league portion of spring training is going to start. The double A single A portion of spring training is going to start after triple A and major league spring training ends. So you're looking at probably the beginning of April before we see the rest of these minor league players go to spring training. So what does that do for the prospects that the Orioles want to get a look at? Are they still going to have them at major league spring training and then send them to the minor league spring training as well? Is that what we're going to see this year as opposed to past seasons that's an option but i i, I don't think it's a ne- it's really necessary to 
to be overly anxious about getting the players on site. I mean, it, this could turn out to be a really long season if so. You know, say, say the minor league season gets backed up a month and it goes a month later, you know, we're still going to get that, that work done. So I, I don't think we have to rush to, to get players to major league camp just because we want them to be doing something. Um, with that also being said, like I, I think that the rules and restrictions for a major league camp are going to be pretty tight, you know, to try and keep the numbers as efficient as they can to, to try and limit the exposures uh, possible. So, you know, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of things we're going to have to consider in in regards to to choosing those players. So my guess is that just about every player that comes to Major League Camp will be there to protect and service the Major League roster as it uh, prepares to play a Major League season. Gotcha, gotcha. Now. Ominous in his absence from the Instructional League was the Orioles' 2020 first-round pick, second overall selection, Heston Kerstad. Uh, we all know, all, all we know is that it was due to an illness. We can all speculate as to what that was. Uh, do you ha- have any updates regarding Kerstad? Um, and do you know where, we, where we're likely to see him debut? Would it be the Gulf Coast League, Delmarva, Aberdeen? What can you tell us about Kerstad right now? Uh, another popular question, you know, Heston... Um has not played any professional baseball yet. We haven't had a chance to, you know, get him on the field. And so answering that question would be, you know, would be a pure, a pure guess right now. And I'd rather not do that. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I, I think the first and most important thing for him is uh, to, to get around us and the coaches and the other players and, and they're going to slowly acclimate uh, in that way. I mean, he, you know, he, he's young, He's fresh out of college, you know. In my opinion, there, there's no reason to 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 um, panic or or to feel like we need to to rush him in, in any manner. And so, you know, we're going to take it take it slow, get get to know him, and, and then we'll figure out what what's the best plan for him. Now, Gunnar Henderson, his name was popular. All summer long, he was apparently uh, after kind of a, I guess a bit of a slower start um, in at the alternate training site. Really came into his own. They said that he looked like one of the better players on the field as he progressed. Uh, he started his career with the Orioles in the Gulf Coast League. That team led the entire Gulf Coast League in wins before the season got ended prematurely due to Hurricane Dorian. Is has he progressed enough to make to go to Delmarva, or are we going to see him in Aberdeen this season? Yeah, Gunner had a great summer. Um, you know, the, the saying that he started out slow statistically, it would be accurate, but it also, you know, got to put it into context. You know, he's 18, 19 years old, right. and you throw him in July into the fire facing basically AAA and major league pitchers. Uh, and so, you know, he, he was he was exposed to, to some major challenges. And the fact that, that he started to catch up to that and start to perform well uh, later on just shows you the, the, uh, the, the kid's aptitude and, and work ethic and resilience. Uh, I was highly impressed with, with the way he handled himself and, and the improvements that he made. He's a really exciting player for me. Uh, to speculate on where he's going to go, 
you know, he's he's never played a, a full season, you know, at a you know for for full season level. So, you know, odds are he probably starts where everyone else starts, you know, in uh, in low A, and and then we'll 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 we'll, pro- we'll kind of follow his progress from there. Now the Orioles have a long line of, of great shortstops in the franchise's history. Uh, a lot of people are looking at Gunnar Henderson as maybe he could be that next in a, in a line of great shortstops. But there's also been rumors that he might have to move over to third base. From what you saw at the alternate training site, is there any reason to think that Gunnar can't stick at shortstop for the long haul? No, and and I would I would actually flip this around and say that. There's no reason to think Gunner can't play just about anywhere. You know, he, yes, you know, we need a a great shortstop, and uh, he very well may end up being that, but he also may end up being a center fielder or a third baseman or wherever wherever the team needs him. Uh, He's got that kind of athleticism and and versatility. And, And, you know, we all know that once, once you get to the major leagues, versatility is really important. And so I'm not going to pigeonhole him anywhere. And that's a positive. Oh, yeah. It's not an, it's not an indictment on his limitations. It's, uh, it's a celebration of, of actually his, his, uh, his abilities. I want to talk about another recently acquired player uh, for the Orioles in Taron Vavra came over in the Michael Givens trade over the summer. And I want to mention him because there were some rumors uh, around that he the Orioles were trying him out in center field, trying him out at shortstop, of course, where he's played uh, for a long time at second base as well. What can you tell us about Taron Vavra and, and his positional versatility and where you think he could be for the Orioles in the long term? Similar. Yeah, I mean, Vavra is a very instinctual baseball player and you he's very open to to helping the team and and he's capable of doing all those things you just said i mean especially you know center field and second base and really any outfield position where where you want to play him so it's you know i don't know if you've noticed but we've mike elias and and the the player acquisition team both on the pro and amateur side have loaded the system up now with with highly talented infielders. We've got a lot of infielders, and so for for them to be able to play multiple positions is going to be important because they can't all play shortstop every single day. And what that's going to do is it's going to create competition. It's going to create versatility, and and I, I believe that it's going to really help as these guys start getting to the major leagues and uh, it's going to provide you know Brandon Hyde and his staff options for for where they want to play guys on on what days. Matt what can you tell us about Jordan Westberg this is a guy that everybody was excited about when he got drafted but no minor league season he hasn't played an inning for any Orioles affiliate yet um, but all reports are that this is a gritty ball player how does how did he look uh, in your eyes? He was the most impressive player for me at instructional league, not necessarily, you know, grading him out as like the best overall player, but he was the most impressive and he may have been the best overall player. Uh, he's, you know, he's right there with everyone else, but um, just his, 
he seemed like a, a a veteran professional with, with everything he did when, when he showed up. Just his demeanor, his work ethic, his approach at the plate, his approach defensively. Uh, you know, he he was never overmatched, and just looked like he belonged. He's also a physical, athletic specimen. Him and Gunnar Henderson next to each other, which we had him on the same group. You know, every day. Those two guys working next to each other was really exciting because they're pushing each other and competing. And uh, from my perspective, like th- this was this is a really exciting guy uh, to add to our system, and it's 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 gonna uh, he's gonna move he's gonna move um, you know through our system and impress people you know at, at every step of the way. Now, he was just drafted uh, in this past season by the Orioles. Of course, they only had, five, I think it was five, six picks uh, in, the, in the Major League draft this past summer. How big is your role in the draft process with the Orioles being the director of player development? It's not, it's not very big. I mean, I, I, I'm there. I can answer questions or ask questions. But they have a, they have a really good process that they – that they use and they work really hard. And, you know, I, I don't really try to get involved too much in that. So, because, because they do a great job. So, um, not, not really the, 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 uh, where I come into play would be the handoff from, you know, once we draft them and sign them now, how can we, we best acclimate them to, to the, the development world. And and that's that's really where we come into play. All right, all right. Now, before we let you go, Matt, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the um, the international signings from last weekend. The Orioles spent more than five and a half million dollars uh, on international amateurs, including the first two seven figure deals in franchise history. What does this foray into the international market do for the talent pipeline of a team that up until twenty nineteen have virtually no footprint on international soil? Oh, it's extremely exciting. It's like a shot in the arm. For us, you know, to just see our system become more robust, you know, with, with talent coming from other avenues, uh, it's it, it's just extremely important. And you know, we saw a little bit of it in instructionally, where you know there, there were a handful of Latin players there that were exciting prospects, and to be able to add them into the mix with the other guys we already had, and then you start adding more and more, it just it makes us you know, legitimate competitors, and um, it's really exciting from our perspective. It certainly is is exciting, um, especially if you're looking at it from a fan's perspective, because you look at some of the best players in baseball, I, namely the first one I think of is Juan Soto, and they were signed out of the international market. Uh, Jose Abreu, the AL MVP, it's huge for this team to get into that market. Now, the players that they signed, like Michael Hernandez and Well Basayo, um, are they all going to to start their careers in the Dominican Summer League, or can we see some of these guys in the GCL in 2021? My guess would be they'll be in the Dominican Summer League. I mean, we we're we're gonna hopefully get them on site at some point. Uh, on site meaning in the Dominican at some point this spring, and uh, get to know them a little better. Uh, but odds are they'll they'll be in the Dominican this this year, at least for the season, and then we'll we'll make uh, the proper adjustments after that. Matt, 
we're going to let you go. We really appreciate you giving us some time this weekend. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, guys. Great talking with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hopefully we get to talk to you again soon. Have a great weekend. Thank you. All right, and that was Orioles. I cannot reach this box right now. That was Orioles develop, uh, Director of Player Development, Matt Blood. We've been hoping to have him on the program for a really long time. Finally, we are able to work it out with Orioles PR. Extremely important piece in this rebuild. I mean, yeah. he, he will be huge. Player development is everything when it comes to growing your, your uh, talent pipeline. So it's, it's, he's huge in this rebuild. So it's, it's very good to talk to him. Absolutely. And you know what? We're going to get back to this. we got to get a break real quick. When we come back, we're going to close out the show, and we'll talk a little bit more about what we just heard from Matt Blood. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. Get the fresh start you deserve. It's a new year. It's a new you. In the U.S. Army, you will acquire the skills and experiences that will prepare you for a long and successful career. There are more than 150 career fields to help you find the right fit for your future. Become a stronger and more successful individual that you and your family can be proud of. Explore all the ways to serve. To request more information, text AQWP to Go Army or 462-769. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual best of issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Welcome back to the Bat Around here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Zach, it's been a really, really good show today as far as, I feel like I could have been a little bit better, but it's a, a, a two-week layoff here. Um, you know, I was really excited for the show, and I, I, I got to be honest, my head was spinning with everything that happened with the Orioles um, over the last 48 hours, and I was trying to get all my ducks in a row, like trying to talk about things without leaving things out. But really good show, really great guests. Um, before we talk about how, how that went, I just want to remind everybody that since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks to celebrate our hometown teams and the athletes we love. Uh, Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter that I'm wearing right now. Uh, plus a Celebrate 8 Purple Neck Gator honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they're perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. Make the most of every day in a Toyota RAV4, available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Whether, you fo- whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and te- technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got a perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Uh, <sighs> We're not going to talk about the Ravens today. We can't, we, we can't talk about the Ravens We're, we're not going to talk about the Ravens today, not with the championship games going on later this, this afternoon and evening and how, how they just could not. They laid an egg. They laid an egg, man. They, they, they absolutely did. They, they, they were great 20-yard line to 20-yard line, but they couldn't get in the end zone. When they finally got close, Lamar throws a, a pick six, 101-yard interception return for a touchdown. His first pick ever in the red zone. For, first pick ever in the red zone, the worst possible time. Didn't even see the guy. It just just a bad game for the offense. Lamar leaves with a concussion. Um, Huntley looked okay, Yeah, if not good. Backup world, as, for as, sure. As, as a backup quarterback. So and It's nice to have somebody who has similar speed, not the, the world-class speed that Lamar has, but similar capabilities to Lamar Jackson that if you ha- you'll have a big drop-off, but it won't be a huge one um, if Lamar ever gets injured like he did in that game. So moving on, uh, before we close things down, I want to talk a little bit about what Matt Blood said about Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. Uh, he mentioned that Gunnar Henderson can play all over the field. He doesn't want to pigeonhole him to one position because he's got that kind of athleticism. And he talked about how Jordan Westberg was one of the best players in the instructional leagues down in Sarasota. Man, the, first off, this is why the Orioles keep getting middle infielders. 
you get shortstops, they can play all over the field. They're very versatile. Most athletic people in the field. Well, absolutely, most athletic people in the field. But to think about the fact that you might have Gunnar Henderson playing shortstop and Jordan Westbrook playing third base or vice versa, just based on what Matt, the way Matt Blood described them, has to have people in Baltimore excited. Yeah, I mean, these are two really premium prospects for the Orioles right now. These are guys that were drafted very highly, and I think a lot of people expect a lot of. For Westberg, I, I'm going to be a believer once I see his strikeout numbers come down. They were very, very high in college, and I, I just want to see those numbers come down, but I believe he's going to be a very good player. And Gunnar Henderson, man, I mean, th- this is the guy to get excited about right now. He's making such strides. He's everywhere. It, it, everyone's talking about him. It, these Every publication from Baseball America to MLB Pipeline, they're all talking about Gunnar Henderson. He's a soon-to-be top 100 prospect. I'm sure by the time he hits 20 years old, so he's he, you know it, it's impossible not to get excited about these guys. Uh, Matt Blood he, he he stopped just short of saying that Westberg's going to move through the system quickly. I think he will. Yeah, but but he, he was saying that he's going to be impressive at every stop along the way. That's a guy I'm 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 so excited about Gunner. I'm so excited about Westberg. I'm so excited about the Orioles draft class from 2020. Hudson Haskins potentially playing center field. Heston Kerstad playing right field. Him bombs uh, on the Utah Street. It, it's an exciting time, and and people are scared right now. People are scared. They're seeing the 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 penny pinching they're seeing the layoffs they're seeing the Orioles try and save money when they already only have a 60 million dollar payroll asking for deferred money in these arbitration contracts from Mancini and Santander people are scared and I get it but look at the talent in this system the Orioles next great team is going to be comprised of the talent that they already have in their system and they have another top five pick in the draft coming this year and I think they have was it five of the top 67 picks or something? Something ridiculous. I think four of the top 67 picks in the draft this year. The Orioles are going to be a great team again because of their of their farm system. Make no mistake about that. And I get being scared. I get thinking, well, what if they need a free agent piece and they aren't willing to spend the money to put them over the top? We're not there yet. The Orioles aren't there yet. I get it. Let's just, you know, take a deep breath, pump the brakes a little bit. You know, we're... I'm not, that's not to say I'm not upset with the transgressions of the last 48 hours, but this could be just a blip on the radar in two to three years. It, it, maybe it pushes rebuild back an extra year or two. I, I certainly hope not. But the Orioles are going to be a good team in 2022. As long it, as it takes to get good, I'm happy with that. I mean, if it takes five years... Let it be. I mean, yeah, that, that's we've already gone three years, man. I don't want an eight-year rebuild. Hey, if, if it means we win a World Series, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm down for and, it. And I can't remember what publication did it, but they picked the Orioles to win the 2027 World Series. Yeah, I think it's Pipeline. It yeah, be pipeline. I, I'd like to see it a little sooner than that. But uh, 2022, man, you're going to have Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, and DL Hall on this roster. If not to start the year with DL Hall and Grayson, then by midseason, by August, September. Uh, the Orioles are going to be competitive this year. They're not. They're not going to win 80, 85 games. I think they're a seventy win team. But they, they, sixty-five, seventy. They could win seventy games this year. They, they. They could. They have. They have talent. They have talent on the major league roster. They have talent in the minor leagues. Just take a collective deep breath, Baltimore, and just understand that there's a process here. That's not excusing it. You know, but let's let's wait and see before we we say, oh, this rebuild is a fraud and they're never going to be good. That's not how that's not how teams operate, man. And and if they sell the team, who knows? Maybe they get an owner like Steve Bishotti. 
You know, n- not Steve Bishotti himself, but maybe somebody like that who runs a team like the Ravens are run. Can you imagine if the Orioles were run the way the Ravens are run? I mean, they, they'd they be in a very good position right now. I'll just say that. I mean, yeah. Bishotti's always willing to spend, always willing to put that team in the best position possible. So, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, let's just, I, I get the doom and gloom, but let's pump the brakes a little bit here, folks. That's going to do it for us here on the battle round. Um, 67 days until opening day. And only a few days until uh, pitchers and catchers. I believe that's February 16th. February 16th. So, so, so just under four weeks, about about three and a half weeks until pitchers and catchers report to spring training. Uh, guys, it's, it's approaching fast. Think about what you were doing 67 uh, days ago. You were about a week out from Thanksgiving, and it doesn't seem like that was that long ago. So it's going to be here before you know it. We'll be talking about Orioles games rather than Orioles offseason. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Wear your masks. Be safe. See ya.